Welcome to the Minter Dialogue radio show, number 33. This interview is with Mark Wright, the founder and publisher of Simply Communicate, which at its core is a community of some 9,000 professionals involved in internal communications. Mark also founded and runs an events and video production agency called Simply Experience and an internal communications consultancy called Simply Good Advice. Anyway, Mark is at the heart of what I consider the killer app for business these days, internal communications. Mark provides some great insights and advice during this conversation. Let's cut to the interview. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue radio show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, and I'm author of the blog, themindset.com. That's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. So let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue radio show. This day is the 18th of September. It's a beautiful day in London. And today I'm, I have a guest with me called Mark Wright, who is someone who I met recently uh, and has a lot of and a really interesting story for us to hear about. So Mark, tell us uh, who you are and what you do. Right. Hi. Good to be on your show. Pleasure. <laughs> I'm the publisher of a thing called Simply Communicate. So you can find it on www.simply-communicate.com. And we are the community for professionals working in internal communications in large organizations. Um, around about 9,000 people read our magazine and uh, subscribe to our website. So uh, we've been going since 2005, and we are love and are passionate about anything to do with internal communications. Right, so I've, I've taken, obviously, a look at your site, and uh, so you're a publisher. You have a lot of content. What are the, what are the parts of your site that work the best? Well, it's really interesting because we thought in the old days it's all just about knowledge. And so when we were first setting it up, we spent a year writing the holy writ of internal communications. And uh, those articles probably get read the, the very fewest of them all. People are interested in what they want to know about right now. So it's the very latest trends. It's war stories from inside other large organizations it's top tips and it's uh, practitioners it's you know those guru practitioners mm -hmm. who uh, uh, stand out amongst the crowd in terms of format yeah, you've got Simply TV, you've got the blog. Yeah. What, are the, what are the formats that work the best? Okay, well, blog doesn't, which is quite interesting, because blog is actually about your opinion. And people are not that interested in our opinion. What they're interested in is what we get, the opinions of others. Um, so I thought it would be like you know, the leader page in, in, in the newspaper, actually online. They're not that interested in it. And they, if, they, if they want a blog, they'll go elsewhere. That doesn't work too well. Um, what works particularly well is frequent publication. So we publish every Friday. Two main stories, mm -hmm. plus a whole load of uh, news stories that go with that. Um, and Simply TV is proving popular as well, because mm -hmm. when we ask people, um, you know, what don't they like about the site and what they didn't like about the site was getting eight stories at the end of the month and having to plow through them. So we said, well, instead of that, well, each month we'll just get the people, the best people that we've interviewed during mm -hmm. those, uh, mm -hmm. over those uh, four weeks, and we'll get them into the studio and get them to talk about what they do. Mm -hmm. And in 45 minutes, we give them the whole story. All right, so you are a publisher. You also have consultancy in your, um, in your mix. Tell us what is your business model. Okay. Like there's 9,000 members of a community as well. Yeah, well, originally we thought that we'd make our money out of subscription. So when we first set up the business, um, it was entirely, you, you paid us £95 a year and you got the stuff. Um, but what we discovered was that that made the community really quite small. 
people expect to go online to get things for nothing mm-hmm. for free. Mm-hmm. So very quickly we got rid of that, that paywall and instead you just have to register. That's mm-hmm. very important. You have to register when you go on the site uh, so we know who you are because that's very important to us so we can uh, respond to the database and that then leads to all the other activities that we do at Simply. Right. So um, your, your focus is on internal communications and, and uh, so where this marries for me is I'm obviously more often working on external communications. How important do you see it is in your experience in working in internal comms for helping facilitate creating good external comms? Yeah, it's really interesting this because these are two cousins that didn't talk to each other. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe they were a divorced couple more than anything else. Marketing they, and corporate comms. Yeah, they just really hated each other. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much as they hated IT, but they certainly <laughs> hated each other. Um, and they were stepmothers. Yes, indeed. And, the, and it was partly a snobbery thing, which is it was much more interesting to work on the advertising, on the external PR, mm-hmm. um, than it was to be doing the company newsletter. Um, but I came from the outside. I came from television. And what I found there was that you'd make programs for the BBC and they'd go you know, they'd go out on air and then you'd never hear anything about them. Or if you did, they were forgotten about within uh, days, if not weeks. Whereas internal comms, it's applied communication. The stuff you do, when you get it right, matters. It has an impact. It changes things. It supports leaders. It supports initiatives. It can mean, it can make or break a campaign. Uh, so it got very serious. All right, so when, when you're in, installing internal communications, what do you see are some of the biggest hurdles in, in creating an effective uh, intranet uh, knowledge management system? Well, the biggest hurdle is that people's expectations are so low of internal comms in their organisations. So if you get anything from the internal comms team or you, you know, it's posted on the intranet, your first indication in a busy day is to delete it. So we're, we're starting from a base where people do not trust what we say. Mm-hmm. They don't believe it, and they don't think it's particularly well written because quite often it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not presented in a, in a particularly interesting way, and it's not really about them. It's about what the management want them right. to hear about. Mm-hmm. So you're starting from a very, very low base. Right. It's, it's more sort of con- it's descending anyway, and it's not allowing for return and, and listening. It's Pravda, basically. Right. It's like Pravda. And um, you know, what happened was uh, in any of these closed communication systems where you're just lecturing the people uh, below you, they, they switch off. Sometimes they pretend to be listening, but they always switch off. And, of course, that's not sustainable. So you need a new model. Right, so when, you, when you're talking about uh, creating in, internal communications, and obviously we're probably going to be focused more on digital, but I, I'm going to guess you have uh, the mix. When it comes to knowledge management, what, what are you seeing uh, are the, the big hurdles today? Is it infrastructure? Is it mentality? What, are, what do you see are the big things that stop making for fluid knowledge management? Well, the real issue about knowledge management is that, you know, it should be called knowledge marketing, it really should, because the point is, if you've got a good bit of knowledge, then you need to get it out there. Mm-hmm. It will not find its own audience. You know, we call intranets the places where information goes to die. It's also the place where good stuff is buried mm-hmm. and can never be found again. So what it's about now is finding information for people that they can use at that very moment in their working day when they need it. That's the key. If, right, but if you're, if you're the creator of the content, I've mm-hmm. written this great white paper and I should share it with my friends A, don't I come off looking like a little bit of a trumpeter and then how do I know when they need it? Okay, well you start with the writing so you really need to know how to write. I mean one of the most important 
success criteria in management today is your ability not just to present but to put words down mm. in, in a clear way. So you kind of need to sort that out. You've got to learn how to use active language. You've got to learn how to get rid of the jar- jargon. You've got to know how to tell stories uh, very quickly and very concisely. Mm-hmm. You've got to really – you have – you know, less than a second when people read your email title or the title to something on the internet. Then if they read the, your opening paragraph, you know, you might get two or three seconds there. If they're not good, they're not going to read any further. So the first part of it is good writing skills. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then the other part is you've got to market it. Yeah. All right. So internally marketing myself can come off a little bit like a... Oh, a little bit egotistical. Well, we used to call it egotainment, and we used to make huge amounts of money um, taking the messages of usually the CEO, um, sometimes the marketing director, and turning them into really sexy videos, gorgeous videos, and they would become uh, egotainment. They were very successful, specifically because they were crafted. They cost money. Agencies made them. That's what I used to do. I used to run these kind of agencies. We'd use them the best of video techniques and so on. But effectively, they were egotainment. They were not really thinking about what the audience wanted to hear. Right. All right. So when you are, you talked about writing, uh, we also mentioned video. How, what do you see the usage, the mix of video in internal communications? Okay. Well, video is hugely important. Um, and we've seen this with YouTube. And the reason why video is important is because it, it deals with emotion, not facts. If you want to get facts across, then do a, do an article. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to get emotion across, then use a video. Mm-hmm. And that's really because we have so much noise out there because when we come to our desk, when we come to our desktops, when we fire up our, our iPhone, there's so much clamoring for our attention. Mm-hmm. If it's a piece of media which is rich and which is funny mm-hmm. and which is attractive, then we'll probably it, turn it on and we might even remember part of it. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've seen some people talk about how videos have an open rate and a, and a full you know, viewing rate that is... You know, multiples of your average text so there's this there's a strength there one so talk us about your type of clientele where you're specialized you have a sector that's more specific then i have another question it's very easy in internal comms and uh, i was taught this by a boss uh, many years ago which is you only work with clients that your mother's heard of um, you know, <laughs> they've got to be household names and they've got to have at least 20,000 people. And the reason for that is very simple because if you've got smaller than that, you don't have the budgets to spend on internal communications. Mm. So we only ever deal with large multinationals. Mm. That's, that's our bread and butter. And do you have a specific sector that you're strengthening? You know, it really varies with time. So for a long time, we were working with the financial sector because there's a lot in finance that needs explaining to people mm. uh, and they employ a lot of staff, particularly in the UK. Right. Uh, for a while, it was transport with the airlines. Um, now it's uh, pharmaceuticals because pharma is going through an enormous amount of change uh, currently. Um, uh, so it's it's what's really interesting is that when you're in comms, you, you do sort of work right across the gamut. It's the same issues. I mean, whenever you go into a company, say, we're different, it's always the same issues, which is, you know, you're not being authentic. People don't trust you. The words aren't getting around. The messages are wrong. Right, well, I'm going to go off on a, on a tangent, but, you know, what you're saying makes me think that not necessarily corporate communications should be responsible for communications. Well, this is so true. I mean, this is, this is really the big change in corporate communications. We um, ran corporate communications from the 70s all the way through to the turn of the, of the century, uh, managing communications. That was our job. We managed it. We got the the messages from above and we managed them. We packaged them and we managed them. Our job now is to help managers communicate. 
which is a very, very different approach to it. Our job now is no longer to, give, to control the messages and give them out. We do have, there's about 5% of the mix in corporate comms mm-hmm. has to come from the top. Mm-hmm. You know, we're meeting officers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. The CEO's changed. You know, you have to have a top-down uh, announcement about that stuff. But 95% of information now and communication now has to come from people themselves. All right, so let, you know, can you give us a, a case where you go in and you're, you're helping instead of just corporate comms do the thing, you're allowing the managers to communicate. What are the methods, any tips of how to make that happen so there's a fluidity and a rapidity of, of information being circulated? Okay, well, first of all, you've got to realize that not all managers want to communicate. I mean, you know, only about a third of us uh, in the general population quite like talking. No. Is that with the extrovert community? What, what kind yeah, of extrovert community? And pe- people are happy with the sound of their own voices, and the, then you have the people in the middle who who, who um, uh, are kind of the fencers, and then you have the people who who, who will only listen. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Of your management community, only a third of them are going to be naturally predisposed to communication. Mm-hmm. So clearly there's a big role of training here. So uh, we spend a lot of time going into particularly those people who are moving just between managing and leading mm-hmm. and really helping them to understand why when they say things, people don't hear them. Right. Uh, yeah, you're a linguistics kind of guy and you speak French and German, yeah. uh, as I understand. You have worked around the world and in a long time. What what kind of differences might you have seen uh, that uh, that might be a cultural in terms of how corporate or internal comms works? Well, of course, internal comms is based on an Anglo-Saxon model, which was invented in America and um, promulgated in the UK and the Netherlands, and that has been the de facto model. So, if you read all the textbooks, of which one I've edited, um, they tend to have the Anglo-Saxon model. Um, what the big change is, of course, is as the economic powers move to the East, um, the East has a very different approach to communication. It's much more social. It's interesting enough. We always think, oh, no, they, they censor their, their web. They, you know, they're, they're very hierarchical. Actually, where they're allowed to talk, so, for instance, about brands online, um, on Weibo and on the Facebooks of the East, uh, f- much more higher adoption of converse- and more conversation. That's Within like, organizations? And it's in, no, no, I'm talking in general. No, I'm talking in general. So when people are talking about, right. uh, uh, about products in, in general. Now, inside communi- companies, well... Internal communications doesn't exist in China. I tried to explain it to a Chinese official once, and he laughed at me. Uh, he said, no, we don't do that. And it reminds me when I went into um, uh, CNA in um, uh, Amsterdam, and we'd been doing a lot of internal comms work for uh, Marks and Spencers, and he thought that we were a, a marketeer, so he thought that we did external comms. And he, he really couldn't get his head around mm. the fact that we talked to the staff. And he said at CNA, no, admittedly, this was in 1985, mm-hmm. he said, no, we, don't, we find it's not a good idea to talk to our staff. So that obviously has changed enormously at CNA now um, uh, in the Netherlands, and it will change enormously uh, in China uh, and the Far East. But for the moment, um, it's not acceptable to uh, uh, criticise or to talk about the, the business internally. It's not something which uh, uh, companies invest in. And how about mainland Europe? It's not Eastern uh, or uh, Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> yeah. France is difficult because France is a hierarchical um, uh, culture. Uh, so they're very good at communicating, but it's they're not that wonderful at listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to a certain extent, Germany as well. Um, but as soon as you go to Eastern Europe, there's a huge demand because, of course, they have 
lived under communist Russia. So, um, you know, they've, they've won the ability to be heard. Yeah, and communicated. They've communicated. And so you see some fantastic examples of internal communications in places like Slovenia, for instance. And, and All right, so when, you're, when you're, you've got a client in front of you and uh, they say, listen, we need to help, uh, we need to make our internal costs better, well, they never say that. They, they, they have an issue. Yeah, so we've got a cost-cutting program. We need to get this through. We're bashing together two, two companies. How do we make that happen? So it's, around, it's a specific issue that they bring you in on. Always, yeah, always. All right, so let's take a specific issue where I've got a, a, a horrible pill to, to swallow. Yeah. What are the, what are the, what's your roadmap? Okay, well, first of all, you need to know the environment. So, for instance, we put, we're putting together two banks. We put together um, uh, Lloyd's TSB and HPOS, and uh, they, it was a forced marriage, forced by the government, and they needed to uh, uh, make the terms and conditions the same uh, throughout the bank. Generally speaking, people who worked for Lloyd's were paid more than people who worked in the north for, for HPOS. And so this is quite a, a, a sort of messy bit of comms to do, uh, made messier by the fact you have very strong unions. So the first thing you do is you absolutely make sure you understand what the unions are thinking, where they're coming from, uh, how good they are, because there's always a number of them, um, and then you out-research them. So you find out much more about what people are really thinking about the changes in conditions than the unions do, because you've got the resources to do so. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of polling, a lot of focus groups, uh, and you use that information so that when the unions say, our oh, members think this, you actually know, well, they might think that better of this, but they don't think that bit, and so you know, you can then advise HR accordingly and, and communicate accordingly. All right. So that what that speaks to is, is a lot of due diligence, a lot of upfront yeah. work. Then you create your plan, and then you've got conversations happening that are yeah. sort of outside of your one-way communication per se. Yeah. But while you're creating that. So, you know, you have a communicate. You have some material you have to pass along. Do you have no. any steps? I mean, let's say you know we've got options. We have a telephone. We have yeah. uh, internal uh, mail. Those are different channels. What? What? What's, how, how do you describe the roadmap there? It's all about timing. So, if you think about it, when change, major change happens in a company, the guys at the top of the company have gone through the change curve. You know, they've either been fired or they've been appointed or, you know, they've been shown, well, the future is wonderful. So by the time they bring in the internal comms people, they personally are in the upward end of the change curve, Mm -hmm. yeah, and they're feeling very triumphant and and positive about life. Um, And so they'll use language which is very positive. This is a great future for us. It's going to be slicker systems. It's going to be a better life and so on. You're announcing this just at the point where everybody else is going. They're going straight in, yeah. And so it's dysphasia. You get dysphasia of language. And so we have to take the the senior people and say, hang on, (laughs) wind back. Remember how you felt six months ago? Start using that language and bring people through the change curve with you, but much faster. Our job in communications is to get people through the change curve faster and with less depression Mm. because that costs money and it can kill a business. Most certainly. I mean, dysfunction and, and, and when, when employees in an organization feel that there's a disconnect between what's being communicated and what they're experiencing, mm. then, then it's just, you know, it's demotivation, it's hands up, it's we're out of here, we're not, we're not interested in, in pursuing. They stop listening to you. And what's interesting is when they stop listening to you, quite often the management don't know that because they, you know, they've done their presentation from the lectern. Mm-hmm. They've put the article up on the internet. They mm-hmm. assume the job is done. Mm-hmm. The fact that no one's listening to them and is certainly not behaving or is quitting and staying, you know, they only discover that later on when their, uh, their sales fall off a cliff. Uh, well, you know, it just makes me think of another aspect that digital allows us to do, which mm-hmm. is to measure. Yes. And so 
in the old days, you used to sort of send out your memo, and you know it was out through internal office, and they passed it around, and you imagined that people read, no hope of it getting any return. What what are the you, you're, I know we spoke before at lunch about uh, you the systems, but you're and you're agnostic to your systems, but uh, do you have any systems that you feel do well at helping to measure? the effectiveness of your communications? Well, it's, you know, it's there and it's free. I mean, your intranet has got measurement on it. You'll have to go and talk to IT to get them switching on, or, you, you know, you can have Google Analytics within your business, which is a very good way to go. But the most important thing about online is even with your intranet, you know how many people have opened that page, have opened your newsletter. Now, behavior hasn't changed. We used to send out the newsletters and people didn't didn't open them, they just threw them away, but we thought they opened them. Mm-hmm. Now we know that your average newsletter is opened by 9% of your staff. Your average intranet is visited by 12% of your staff. Yeah, it's appalling. And so now we have the data to know, well, we've got to do better. And um, you then start experimenting with things. You say, oh, that worked, oh, that worked, and you get it better. All right, well, going back to my first question, then, which is how can internal comms actually improve external communications? And I take the case of email newsletters. Mm. You've got internal comms and 9% open rate. One of the things in external comms that I know about is going to open is when you have a great title. <laughs> a good headline. What do you see about that? Yeah, good. Well, it's the same with the company magazine. And you've seen a huge revolution in company magazines. Company magazines used to have you know, a bunch of guys on the front cover with a spade because uh, they were just breaking ground on a new factory. Yeah, and you had some really tedious headline. Um, those have gone there. If you look at good company magazines now, they are as good as what you see on the newsstands. You know, we've learned our lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's simply we do training with uh, Steve Crescenzo and Jim Wysela, who are the top guys from America, and they're hysterically funny, anybody who's met them. Uh, and what we teach people is that you are competing against Cosmo, which is talking about 16 ways to have better sex. So your company magazine's got to be pretty good mm-hmm. to get people to read that. Now, you work for the business, so you might be interested anyway, right. but you still have to have the journalistic techniques of good headlines great photography well written mm-hmm. um and then of course now that we have social media that's a it's a whole new ball game altogether yeah and video of course you can and add video, into that yeah. Yeah. so um another area of, of interest for me is this notion of personal branding and so my question to you is what is your posture with regard to uh, personal branding uh, and as when you advise customers and how do you manage that concept Okay, well, personal branding is, is going through a revolution. I mean, we have had this, this meteoric bomb has gone off called the Internet, and it's, you know, it's just changed whole industries. It's changed the music industry. It's changed the you know, journalism. It's about to change internal comms because now these tools are available internally inside organizations, and if they're not available internally, um, then staff set them up externally on external sites. There's a site called browncafe.com, which is the unofficial site for all drivers for UPS. It has more traffic, it has more conversations about what's going on in UPS than the UPS intranet does. Uh, And it was just set up by a bunch of enthusiasts, and it's huge now. So if you don't do it, if you don't create the forum, an attractive forum where your people can talk and have genuine conversations, then someone else will. So um, what has happened 
is that these new tools are now available inside the workplace. They're being driven by the millennials who expect to have them. They're being driven by the fact that they're virtually free and cheap to do, so they're being set up all over the place, so they're happening anyway. And now we all have to relearn our craft. We all have to relearn what we're here for as communicators because we're no longer controlling the, the message. That genie is out of the bottle. Our job now is to encourage the right kind of conversations uh, in the organization. In my experience working in a large French organization, a L'Oreal to name, we had an internet, and um, at the time, and I'm not sure where they are today, it was not allowed to uh, input your own information. Do you still come across that kind of a mentality? Uh, and if so, how do you overcome it? Okay, well, the, the trick is, is to um, start with small steps. So the first thing you allow people to do is to post. So people, you know, they can read an article by someone and they can post on the bottom of it. Now, Without moderation. Without moderation. To start with, sometimes you have to have moderation just to keep the, the, the legal teams happy. It's not legal team. Legal actually usually quite cool about this. It's, it's the CEO. Or comms, yeah. So um, in our experience of looking at some of the most successful intranets in the world, uh, where they have had literally millions of postings, over the past few years, um, you ask them, Can, did you ever take a post down? And they have to scratch their heads and root around, and they said maybe two or three times when someone said something which, which contravened. That's uh, out of millions. Yeah, and so it's not because they were talking against the company, but because they were being racist. Yeah, or ethically... Ethically dubious, yeah. Yeah, something like that. So for the same reason that, you know, the BBC would take would moderate and take a, take a post down. So generally speaking, you trust people to come into your company, to use your desks, to use your, your equipment, to work with your customers. You trust them to do that. Why wouldn't you trust them online? Mm -hmm. And treat them as adults, actually. Uh, well, treat yeah, of course, that's, that's the huge thing about this, is it's now adult to adult. Um, and, and interestingly enough, you have to earn your adulthood not as the receiver of the information uh, but as the leader so leaders have to be authentic you know any leader that says one thing and then palpably does the other um, is just a busted flush it's transparent the thing i mentioned at lunch which i really liked um was this notion of one-to-one uh, -one versus one-to-many mm. can you talk about how that's important yeah this has taken us a long time to get get our heads around this one it really has because we thought oh the one you know basically the net is just like you know email on, on speed, you know, you can just email lots of people. Um, and we still do that with newsletters. And we have, you know, we're trying to get to individuals. Doesn't really work. Um, well, it works up to a point. But if you really want to get to critical mass and you want change to happen in your organization, you've got to influence not individuals, but networks. Okay, so there will be networks in your organization. Say they might be specialists in finance or, or HR or whatever. They're the ones that are going to make something happen. They depend or they choose to read you depending on which of their peers that they respect are reading you or are commenting on you. So now it's all to do with the quality of the connections that you have yeah, electronically. Uh, determine how effective you are. And as a communicator, you've got to find the people in those networks who are, well, we, we, we call them promoters, salesmen, networkers, whatever you like, mm -hmm. um, but they're people who are trusted. Excellent. And um, how likely or desirable is it for those networks to be porous? In other words, that they can be outside coming in. So, in other words, you have your network internally, the IT guy, Mr. Mm -hmm. Dahl knows Mr. G, Mr. X, but 
should that should the line be allowed to be extended to the people outside? Yeah, they're multifaceted. I mean, the, the, the people who did really good work on this was IBM, and it was called um, Social Network uh, Analysis, SNA, about 10 years ago. They were doing it in-house. The guys that did it now have now moved out. But if you just search on SNA, Social Network Analysis, you can see the, the real science behind this stuff, which is at different times during the day, we talk and uh, respond to different networks. And when we're in our private life, we, we, we have other networks as well. So we're made up of, um, and you see it on your LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. Who you know. Who you know, but also at the bottom of your groups, the groups that you're members of. And so who you know is becoming less important because... The more people you know, the less effect you have on them, if you know what I mean. Less interaction. The less interaction and less influence you have. But at some point, a lot of people you know, it becomes then a group or a network. Um, And so it's really looking at the networks at the bottom of people's LinkedIn profiles is now becoming important. Now, here's the funny bit. This is the really crucial bit. It's called social search. In the old days, we'd fill in our LinkedIn profiles. We'd decide which group we're going to be in. In the future, just by sending an email, attending a conference, writing a paper, or watching a video, yeah, the system will build up a picture of you without you knowing it. So in the future, people will search, say, on social network analysis mm-hmm. or internal communications, and instead of it going, oh, it's the SEO of what we have on our website, it's actually someone in your organization who is evidence behavior around that area. So what this will mean when we talk about the personal brand, to go back to that subject, is that what you think your personal brand is won't necessarily be what your electronic personal brand will be because that will be a true representation of the way that you live your life. Right, well that, your uh, footprint, your digital yeah, footprint. Yeah, my, um, I, was, I met this guy and I, I can't remember the name of the product, but it, it's a software that allows HR to understand the social uh, footprint. Yeah. Where are we with that in England, and what's your opinion on it? Okay, well, it's, it's early days um, in terms of inside companies, but we do have the systems that can gather the data. All you need is the reason to gather the data. So we now have a huge industry in the UK which looks at how you use the internet and then puts up ads against your Facebook profile, which will appeal to you because it's just heard you've been talking about Morocco, so also you know, put up an ad about Marrakesh. These, um, and they're just algorithms. That's all they are. They're just algorithms. These algorithms can be applied internally, and so we will start to see more and more social search going on inside companies and it will be even more effective inside companies because we're talking about quite specific things yeah rather than just a holiday we're talking about what your phd is in and what your particular you know what you're interested in and so on we spend eight hours of every day usually at work and we don't spend eight hours of every day buying products so actually these digital profiles are going to be much richer and more important than the ones that the marketers are currently using and uh, what, what does the legislation say about that? Or, and <laughs> should I say unions? Uh, it's, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. Um, you know. You'd be horrified. Well, you probably know, but you'd be horrified about how much data Google knows about you. Mm-hmm. And it's too late now. Um, it's going to happen inside companies, yeah. yeah. So all you can do is, is, is to sort of lead a blameless life. You know, you, I, I think you need to be very aware of your digital profile. And, and you get that when people come up to you or ask you for stuff and you think, hang on. That's not my job, but but it happens to be what I'm very good at. So I was uh, talking this morning uh, to someone who uh, they became the expert about mobile phones inside their own organization, Mm. not because they are the mobile phone expert. 
um, at, at all, but because they've written some very good articles about it and they notice that people are having trouble getting their Android to work with their internet and so on. And so this guy just felt like public-spirited, wrote white papers, little guides, and, and then answers people's emails about it. And now he's the go-to person about how to get your mobile phone to work in this particular organisation. It's not in his job description, but that's what he's become. It, I can imagine that opens up all sorts of interesting options for HR. Well, Mark, brilliant. Thanks for having coming on the show. Uh, so anyone would like to uh, get in touch with you, follow what, who you are? Your, uh... Absolutely, yeah. So just go into www.simply-communicate.com. Register there, then you'll get all the, uh, in the notifications of our training courses and our events and so on and so Subscribe forth. Subscribe to your newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter, which comes out every Friday. And if they want to get in touch with you personally? Well, yeah, just go to mark, M-A-R-C, dot write, W-R-I-G-H-T, at simply-communicate.com. Beautiful. Mark, pleasure to have you on board. Thanks a lot. I'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.